Our first scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Our second reading this morning comes from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Thank you, John. Have you received a love tap or given a love tap to someone? Well, the kids have come home from school nowadays and been educated on what a two-inch punch is. It's called a two-inch punch. So Jody, come up and and it's, it's going. I'm going to turn it into a love tap. All right. So you want to practice with your neighbor. So you just put your hand like this up against their arm, and I say arm. Now you know kids; they're doing it other places. But it, you and, it, and you, then you make a fist like that. A two-inch punch. But don't get carried away like my ten-year-olds do. They do this. You know, they, they, you got to keep your finger there and do that. So lo- love tap the person next to you today with a two-inch punch. So I consider myself blessed to have children of all ages, and I call that my continuing education for today's world. They bring home lots of useful information like that. keeps me updated and relevant. So I feel bad for the older clergy that don't have that resource available, but I'm thankful for it. To be loved and accepted and embraced is what the world needs this Christmas, amen? Loved, accepted, embraced is what the world needs every day, amen? 
Every day, not just once a year, not just on Christmas, not just for a season, but every day the world needs to feel this loved and embraced and accepted to fill those inner emotional needs. Christmas time, it does offer us a wonderful moment. It gives us an avenue. It gives us a moment to really talk about it and to embrace it and to get actively showing the love of Christ. It is a moment for Christians and for the church to show this love and to show appreciation to others and what they mean to us and what they've done and and how our lives are so blessed because they are a part of our lives. So it is important for us to realize now is the time. Now is the time to show and to be demonstrators, yes, demonstrators of love, unconditional love, unconditional giving, unconditional support of those around us. This amazing gift that was born in a manger, born in a manger, this gift and this love that we read about in 1 Corinthians that Paul talks about, Paul talks about this love, and, and he, he, he experienced it in a 180 fashion when God got a hold of his life about love. And there's a whole lot more going on around that in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. But it is a package deal. The love and everything else that it talks about. Just as Christ... Jesus Christ is the complete package. Jesus Christ is the real deal, the whole deal. He is the whole package because we are fallible. We are mistake-making. We are unloving. We are having bad day people with bad attitude people. We are selfish people, especially when things don't go our way or people don't think like we think, or do what we do, or willing to give our way a try. But what does Paul show here? Paul is describing a love that is complete, a love that is full of power, a powerful love. He's telling us that true love, this true love, puts up with one another, puts up with people we do not agree with, This true love calls us to hang in there, to hang on and to cling to each other. Even though we may not want to, we still do. We may not want to go to church, but we would still go. We don't want to serve. We don't want to help with this, but we still make ourselves available because we're doing it for the Lord not for some church building, not for a denomination, not for any other individual, but just for the Lord, for all that he's done for us. How he's allowed himself to be our Lord and Savior, that he's loved us and forgiven us of our mistakes and sins. Because we are all still people. We are all created by God. And we all know we have our moments. Moments we don't even like ourselves. Moments we get at, mad at ourselves and we disappoint ourselves. Like, why did I do that? Why did I give in to this? Why did I keep doing these things over and over? But we, got, we have God's word. And then verse 13, And now abide faith, hope, and love. 
these, th these three, but the greatest of these is love. And why is that? Why would you say love is the greatest? Love is giving and loving is selfless. Love expects nothing in return. Even the greatest and best marriages have their moments. Even the best couples, the most unified couples have their moments when they have expectation for the moment or for the family get-together or for the gathering or for the children coming home. And then when those expectations aren't met, what happens? Someone gets upset. Someone gets bent out of shape. Someone loses their cool and they say a few things. And they're just frustrated. But can the rest of us around them still love them? Can, as a spouse, can we just hold our tongue or bite our tongue and just say, okay, I hear you. Love will not envy. Love will rejoice. Love will rejoice in something happening for someone else that is positive and good. We've had to have this. We've had to have. We've had to have this hard conversation with our our family just over the last few weeks, making sure that we're not getting jealous of one another. But yet, the siblings would rejoice when something good happens to their brother or sister or that the brother or sister would have an accomplishment and that there would be a celebration and not a criticism of, well, you didn't do this, or you failed here, you didn't do that. Oh, that B should have been an A. Why didn't you do this? It's learned. We have to work on it. We have to pray about it. We have to be happy if our coworker gets a promotion or our neighbor gets blessed with, XYZ, or a new car, or a new whatever, or a family is blessed with a, a, another pregnancy. doesn't matter how many children they already have, but they're blessed once again with a pregnancy to have another child, to bring life into this world. We celebrate with them, not judge and be critical. It takes work. It takes the Lord's work within us to love one another as we should. Love does not provoke, does not make those negative comments, does not bring on anger or puts fuel on the fire to produce more anger that would lead to hatred, and does not bring that type of thoughts and attitudes to a gathering when the gathering is to be a celebration or time of worship or a Bible study or learning or family get-together or birthday or anniversary celebration. Whatever it is, the list goes on and on. But love comes in peace. 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 Love does not rejoice in unfair behavior or favoritism. Love does not rejoice in someone being taken advantage of. Love does not trap or manipulate fellow, friends, family members, church family, or fellow believers. Love does not do those things. Love never gives up. 
Love never gives up. Love never turns its back, never turns a blind eye to a loved one, family member, neighbor, co-worker, fellow believer. Love helps us. Love helps us see that God can change our lives. God can help us love as he loved. God can help us love as we should. God can help that other individual change themselves. Not for us, not for our sake, but for their own sake and their relationship with God. They change for the Lord, not for their spouse or not because their children come and call them out on things, not for some other individual in the church or a pew partner, but for the Lord we change and become loving people to be like Christ so that we can love as we should. Never ever forget how Paul, as he writes and as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. What does love do? Love, when it is empowered and when it is instilled by God, it is complete. It is complete because God is complete. God has no hang-ups, hang-nails, sin, incompleteness. God is complete and he is the complete package. He is the real deal, making love the real deal. And it's going to forever be that way. 100% a gift that God makes possible in you and your life in this church and ministry. It's all about God's working. Not any one man, woman, child, not any one family. It is only going to be because of God. If this church loves one another and this church does ministry, it will only be because God has enabled it. And then we let it happen. We say, okay, Lord, you called me to love. You called me to go ministry. You called me to visit the neighbor down here or go here and there. Whatever the ministry is he calls us to do going forward, it's going to be enabled by him. He's going to provide the love. He's going to provide everything that needs to be done. Are we going to do it? That's what we have to make sure we are willing to answer. Because in our humanness, yes, in our humanness, you and I, each of us, this building, it's incomplete. Without that love and without God, it's incomplete. It's not going to be complete. And we're not even able to fully comprehend the fact that love empowered by God would be complete. Because there's a lot of things in our lives that are not complete, right? A lot of things never get done. A lot of plans never get fulfilled. We have a lot of incomplete things, incomplete expectations, incomplete shortcomings of our own doing and our own decisions. In our humanness, we are not complete. We are not God. It is God that makes us complete. It makes us complete through, he makes us complete through his son, Jesus Christ.
Chuck Swindoll, in one of his devotions that I've read one time, he asked a question. Have you ever tracked the consequences of almost, but not quite? That was his question. And I'd like to reread this reminder that I jotted down now that that's devotional and having a place for me to see often. Knowing that I'm not complete. God uses me to do some things. And I get a lot of compliments, appreciation. People say they're blessed. But I know it's the Lord and it's not me. So I read this often, and Chuck Swindoll wrote, according to some research by Natalie Gable, if 99.9% was considered good enough, guess what would happen in a year? If 99.9% was good enough, 2 million documents would be lost by the IRS. Now maybe you're hoping yours would be one of those that are lost but two million would be lost. Twelve babies would be given to the wrong parents each day. Each day, twelve babies would be given to the wrong parents. 291 pacemaker operations would be performed incorrectly. You want to be that .01? I don't think we sign up for that, do we? there would be 20,000 incorrect drug prescriptions written. You want to be .01? I don't think so. Do you want to be one of those .01? One of the almost but not quite. And then Chuck Swindoll, he went on to say, and I quote, if Christ had only paid 99.9 of the debt of sin, not one of us would have a chance at heaven. Unlike the earthly race of excellence, the race against sin had a finish line. Otherwise, when Jesus breathed his last breath, he would have said, it's almost finished. And we would have to keep working at it. Adding to something Christ didn't finish on the cross, end quote. And I think we've all lived long enough knowing full well we cannot add anything to that cross in and of ourselves because we are incomplete. We are unable, unable, not able. We're not smart enough. We're not hardworking enough. We don't have enough energy. We never have enough money. We can't add to the cross of Christ. But there's always room at the foot of the cross for one more sinner to bow down and say, Jesus, I need thee. At the point of our weakness, the Christian faith invites us, invites us to reconnect to God to reconnect. We are already embraced by the grace of God that surrounds us. God's unmerited, free and unmerited, 
unredeeming, I mean, unmerited redeeming love is there, available. Christmas is a grace-filled moment. Jesus Christ was born. It is God's divine accepted and embraced claim of love on you, on all people. And by the life and death and resurrection of his son, declares God, you're mine. You are mine. A baby has done nothing to earn the parent's love. We as individuals cannot earn God's love. You and I have done nothing to earn it. Nothing. He gives freely. As Christians, I pray for you to have the understanding of what it means to be loved what it means to be accepted, and what it means to be embraced. Because we read from our New Testament reading today, the, the 1 Peter 9, but you are chosen. You are a chosen people. As Christians, we don't proclaim our own righteousness. We're not smart enough to know all about Jesus but we know enough that we need him, that we are sinful people in need of a Savior. Before Christ is known in our lives, we are sinners. We have a desperate longing. We have a void. Hope seems at a distance. But then we begin to realize we're blessed with a spiritual moment, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to who Christ is. Read in verse 10, makes this clear, how in Christ we have received mercy because of love. Once you were not a people, we were nothing. We were nothing, it says, but now you are the people of God. When Christ becomes your Lord and Savior, you are in the fold. You're in there. So I pray that as we continue on in this Advent journey, as we continue on in ministry and the work of the Lord and what the Lord would have us do, that we'd go forth in love and that we would have that passion to love as Christ has loved. To love one another because God has claimed us as his own. He's claimed you just as much as he's claimed me. He's claimed you as much as he's claimed the neighbor down the road. He wants to love all of us. He wants us to love him. He wants us to love each other. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your mercy because we know there is mercy because of love. We thank you for the hope, and there is hope because there is love. We thank you for allowing us to become your people because there is love that embraces us, your love. As Jesus stretched out his arms and hands across that cross, making a bridge for us, back to you, Father God. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you, 
And Lord, we love you as well. Continue to guide and direct us and allow your ministry to be done in that loving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, now and forever. Amen.